Turn to Leviticus 16 in your Bibles. The Day of Atonement. And I'm beginning to read in verse 29. I'm going to read verses 29 and 30. And those that are doing the PowerPoint presentation, this would be the appropriate time to put those verses up. Leviticus 16, verses 29 and 30. Say the following. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to read your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to read Leviticus 16, 29, and 30. Lord, to see that you are working in our lives through Jesus Christ, and you foreshadowed it, Lord. In the Old Testament, when you commanded Israel to celebrate this day of atonement, you had Jesus in mind, Father. 3,400 years ago, When this was written, when the Day of Atonement was inaugurated for the sins of your people, Jesus was in mind. And today we cling to him, and today I pray he would be preached, and today I pray, Lord God, that he would be followed. In Jesus' name, amen. Yoshi Levin bows his head to begin the Yom Kippur prayers. As he does so, this father of three little girls remembers his Jewish heritage and feels for the first time the tension this day brings to him and his young family. He steals a quick glance at his wife, Sarah, and quietly hopes that this Yom Kippur would truly be a day of atonement for he and his family. Yoshi knows that Yom Kippur is the most important and holy day of the Jewish year. He has just read Leviticus 16, 29-30 to his family and will begin this commemoration along with millions of Jews worldwide. He will refrain from work, food, and marital relations for the next 25 hours in order to seek God's forgiveness. He will walk to the synagogue tomorrow with his family to spend the day there in prayer and repentance, hoping that God will forgive their sins and wipe the slate clean and give them life for another year. The name Yom Kippur means Day of Atonement. In the Jewish faith, it is a day set aside to afflict the soul, to atone for the sins of the past year, according to Leviticus 16. According to Jewish tradition, God inscribes all of our names in his book. On Yom Kippur, the judgment is entered into these books and sealed. Yom Kippur is essentially one's last appeal, one's last chance to change the judgment written in those books by demonstrating one's repentance and desire to make amends. Yom Kippur is a Sabbath unto God. No work can be performed on that day. It is the only Jewish holy day that requires a complete 25-hour fast, beginning from sunset on the evening before Yom Kippur and ending after nightfall on the day of Yom Kippur. The fast includes refraining from eating, 
drinking, even water, washing, bathing, anointing one's body with cosmetics, deodorants, etc., wearing leather shoes. Orthodox Jews wear canvas sneakers under their dress clothes on Yom Kippur and engaging in marital relations. Most of Yom Kippur is spent in the synagogue in prayer. In Orthodox synagogue, services begin at 8 a.m. on the day of Yom Kippur and continue until 3 p.m. People then usually go home for an afternoon nap and return around 5 or 6 p.m. for the afternoon and evening services, which continue until nightfall. The services end at nightfall with the blowing of the shofar, which is a long ram's horn, and participating in a great feast to break the fast and rejoice in God's forgiveness until next year. And finally, it is customary to wear white during Yom Kippur, which symbolizes purity and calls the mind to mind the promise that our sins shall be made as white as snow. Isaiah 1.18. Some people wear a kittel, which is the white robe in which the dead are buried. So, why am I talking to you about Yom Kippur in such detail? Well, first, today's text is all about Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And secondly, my friends, secondly, many of our Jewish friends throughout South Florida will be celebrating Yom Kippur beginning this Wednesday night. Yes, October the 8th, at sundown, begins Yom Kippur, which ends next Thursday, October the 9th, as well at sundown. Folks, we need to understand the Old Testament view of Yom Kippur, in order to see the New Testament fulfillment of it in Jesus Christ. And we need to prayerfully and respectfully seek to interact with our Jewish friends in South Florida during this high holy season to offer an interpretation of Yom Kippur that presents Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you're a guest this morning from Jewish heritage or background, please know that we honor and we respect the Judeo traditions articulated in the Torah, which I just read from. And specifically, we respect the celebration of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, as described in the book of Leviticus. We respect it so much that we are going to preach a message on it. In fact, we are going to be preaching 12 messages dealing with the issue of atonement. There's a little flyer that's available to you. It's called The One for the Many. Are you in the many? And it has 12 messages listed on atonement. That's how much we respect this tradition. Because it is not a tradition owned by man. It is a tradition begun by God. As it says... God, in the atonement, God gave himself. Let me just pause for a moment. David, is it possible to get this up? Can we do it right now? Okay. If you do, I'd love this quote to go up. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Here's the atonement. You ready? Right here. By the way, can I just encourage in something? If you have a pen and a piece of paper... Why don't you just use the back of the notes and jot down what God brings to your mind? Because actually, God is going to actually want you to respond to this. (laughs) This is not a lecture on history. This is a talk on his story, which is redemption's story. 
So let me just encourage you. Jot a note down in the back of your bulletin or just grab a piece of paper from your neighbor and write on that. So atonement, day of atonement. What is atonement? Well, here's what atonement is. God gave himself in the person of his son to suffer instead of us the death, punishment, and curse due to fallen humanity as the penalty of sin. God gave himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer instead of us the death, punishment, and curse due to fallen humanity as the penalty of sin. This understanding of the cross of Christ, this understanding of the day of atonement, this understanding of Yom Kippur, is at the very heart of the gospel. The atonement of Jesus Christ is prefigured here in Leviticus 16, in the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. We simply want to offer the truth of the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, that begins to help us interpret Leviticus 16 by stating that our Day of Atonement, our Yom Kippur, occurred on a cross 2,000 years ago when the sacrificial Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, poured out His blood and placed it on the heavenly high place, the heavenly mercy seat, on the heavenly altar, to take away my sin and yours. Now I know that might be radically new for you. But I pray that as I reason with you from Scripture, God would speak to you. God would speak to your heart that your sins have been taken away by our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, this section today we are studying in Leviticus 16 answers a very important question that is raised by the book of Exodus, which is the book preceding Leviticus. And here's the question that the book of Exodus raises. How can a holy God dwell in the midst of a sinful people? And the answer that the book of Leviticus reveals is only through the blood of the sacrificial system. You see, the tension of Exodus how can a holy God dwell with a sinful people, is relieved. It finds relief in the sacrificial system of Leviticus. But ultimately, it can only be resolved in Jesus Christ. God, he does want to dwell with us. But first, he must make provision for our sins because the unmediated presence of God's holiness is fatal for sinful man. But here's the good news. Leviticus tells us, because it prefigures Jesus' sacrifice, that God makes provision for sinful man to come into his presence and enjoy his provision of favor. That provision is the sacrifice prefigured in the Old Testament by goats and bulls and rams for our sin, but then fulfilled in the New Testament by Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. And that is why God's command to us this morning through Leviticus 16 is that we come into his presence with reverence and with repentance. With reverence and with repentance. Now what does it mean to come into God's presence with reverence? Well, that's the context of the Day of Atonement. It's the death of Aaron's sons who failed to enter God's presence with reverence. Reading from Leviticus 16, 1-3a. The Lord, and that would be the next slide. 
The Lord spoke to Moses from the death. After the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place. We read in Leviticus 10, 1 through 3, the account of the death of Aaron's sons at the hands of God. Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Let that hit you. These are the sons of the high priest trying to go in to offer sacrifice to God in an unauthorized manner. And they died before the Lord. Verse 3, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near to me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now what's amazing is this next quote. The same divine fire that that ignited the inaugural sacrifice providing atonement for the people in Leviticus 9.24, now in Leviticus 10.1-3, engulfs those who encroached upon God's altar in an unauthorized fashion. So also, the same divine wrath against sin that fell upon Christ in his vicarious sacrifice for his people will blaze against those who reject that sacrifice and yet attempt to approach God in their sin. Oh, dear friends, because God is holy and we are not, we cannot enter God's presence as we please. That's what Nadab and Abihu did. But as God commands, and the new community of God had to be made aware that it existed for God and not vice versa. You see, the public display of God's holiness is fatal for sinful man apart from the sacrifice of Christ. That's the message of the Day of Atonement. It's a message of enter God's presence with reverence. But it's also a message of coming to God's presence with the heart of repentance. You see, God commands us to come into his presence. God commands us to come, but we must come with blood sacrifice. This is the clear teaching of Leviticus 16. Aaron, representing us, God's people, had to enter God's presence with the blood of bulls and goats. He entered specifically with two goats. One was sacrificed, and its blood was placed on the mercy seat for the cleansing of God's people. We read in Leviticus 16, 15 and 17, the following words. Then he, Aaron shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel. Don't you see, here's where we resolve the tension between a holy God wanting to dwell with an unholy people. We resolve it by blood. And because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Now the other goat, the scapegoat, 
was sent off into the wilderness to die having the sins of the nation placed upon it. And that's what we read in Leviticus 16, 20 and 22. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness where it died outside the camp. Folks, Jesus Christ... 1,400 years after this was written, after this was inaugurated, fulfilled this symbol by offering himself one lamb, not two goats, one lamb, whose blood was put on the altar in the heavenlies, and whose body was broken outside the gates of Jerusalem, and who died an excruciating death. The sins of the nations were placed on his head, and God received The sacrifice. Oh, look what Hebrews 9 says. And jot this one down. Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, and he's talking about now the tabernacle, not here on earth, or not even a temple on earth, but the tabernacle, the temple in the heavens, the original upon which the earthly was made. Jesus went into the original one. Oh, great, great scripture. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater, more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation, 12, but he entered once for all, once for all, not every year, but once for all, into the holy places. This is the place where the ark was, where the mercy seat was. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. See, don't you see the fulfillment of Yom Kippur here? Thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, this is all describing the Yom Kippur sacrifices, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, and they did because of God's grace. Oh, but look at this, much more grace, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, listen, friends, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Is your conscience bothering you this morning? Run to Jesus. Have you sinned and you know it? Oh yes, humble yourself. But run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. This is the only blood that can cleanse your conscience. Now I want to talk to you briefly about something that is so important. I want to talk to you about this term, mercy seat. Is the next slide a picture of the mercy seat? Oh, isn't that good? Let's show it, guys. (laughs) This slide is is revealing the the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And you see where the, the cherubim's wings touch? Literally, this was in, if you see up in the upper right hand corner, this was in that furthest right hand third of the tent of meeting, what's called the Holy of Holies. In fact, If you see that line separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place in the tent of meeting, that line represents the curtain in the tabernacle that was ripped in two when Jesus died. 
Now, if that isn't ever a fulfillment of this, I don't know what is. Because until Jesus died, only one man could go in there once a year, hope God didn't kill him, bring the blood of bulls and goats, and offer it on top of that mercy seat so that God's presence, which is holy and powerful, would dwell with his people yet again. Because we're sinful, and he's holy. But, oh, listen to this, dear friends. You can keep that slide up, okay? Listen to this, dear friends. The word for mercy seat is very close to the word kapoor, yam kapoor. Yam is the Hebrew word for day, kapoor for atonement. The word for mercy seat is kaporet. And it's a derivative of the word kapoor. And it's a noun that's used, now stay with me, a little technical, but hang in there, lean forward, this is important. It is a noun used 27 times in the Bible, and it always refers to the golden cover of the sacred chest inside then, you don't see the actual ark, is where they put the law, is where they put uh, the rod that budded, it's where they put uh, uh, the manna. Okay, obviously that does not exist any longer, but that's where it was in the temple. Okay, so this is the, the covering of, thank you guys, man, you guys are amazing. I didn't even have that one up there. How'd you do that one? Ooh. <laughs> okay, so right in here, the lid, and this is in the Holy of Holies. All right? So that mercy seat, good, keep that one up there. That mercy seat on top of the sacred chest, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Okay, it is from the mercy seat, folks, that God promised to meet with men. Just jot this down. Number 789. And you never thought that there'd be a chapter in the Bible with 89 verses. It's true. I looked it up. Number 789. Don't go there. Just write it down. As well as right in this passage, Leviticus 16.2. Both of those scriptures tell us, God says, I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to build a place where I meet with you. And I love you so much that I'm going to erect boundaries so I don't kill you. Because I love you. But I can't stop being holy and you can't stop being unholy. Isn't God good? Because he didn't have to do this. And I'm going to meet with you right on top of that mercy seat. Now get ready, man, because this is, this is hyperdrive. We're about to kick this bad boy into hyperdrive. Hold on. This is, more, this is better than any football game ever. That's saying a lot for me, okay? The word, caporet, however, is not related to mercy. And it's not related to a seat. That doesn't look like a seat. Mercy seat. So what is it related to? All right, here you go. The word is derived from the root to atone, kapoor. The Greek equivalent in the Septuagint. Don't leave me. Stay with me. Septuagint. It's a fancy word for the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. Old Testament written in Hebrew. Got it? Aleph, bet, gimel, dalet, hey. All right, that's the alphabet. All right. That's all I know. Don't be impressed. That's thousands of dollars of seminary education right there. Okay. Old Testament Greek or Hebrew. Jews, a thousand years later, live in a country, given countries that speak Greek. So someone translated the, the Hebrew into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And the New Testament was written in Greek. So it's important now. What does this word, how is it stated in the Greek? I knew you were thinking that. The Greek equivalent of this word, kaporet, is called hilasterion. Don't write that down. You'll hurt yourself trying. But here's the key. You ready? This I do want you to write down. 
It means the place or object of propitiation. I know, tough words, but you can do it. Propitiation. What that means, it's a word that means that God's wrath and anger against me is satisfied and replaced by God's favor for me. To propitiate is to take away that which caused someone to be angry or wrathful toward me, pay the penalty, and to give me that which would cause them now to have favor and smile over me and give me blessings. That's that word propitiation. It has very much to do with atonement. So this Greek word that translates kaporet, in the Greek it's hilasterion, and it means the place of propitiation. And guess who it's related to in the New Testament? Jesus Christ. Write down Romans 3.25. Romans 3.25. Study it later. Romans 3.25. You see, the translation mercy seat does not sufficiently express the fact that the lid of the ark was the place where the blood was sprinkled on the day of atonement. But Jesus does, because it's in Jesus that we meet with God now. No longer in a temple, no longer in a building, but in a person. That's the gospel. That's the day of atonement. That's our hope. That's what we live for. I meet with God in a person, Jesus Christ, who becomes for me the mercy seat, the place of propitiation, the place where God can speak to me. That's why this Bible is so important, because in it we learn of Christ. God, come to us. God, come to us. This is what the Day of Atonement was pointing to. And this is what Christ accomplished at at the cross. Reading now from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. It'd be very good for you to write down Leviticus 16, Hebrews 9. Go home and do a study. Leviticus 16 is interpreted by Hebrews 9, okay? Same Holy Spirit inspired both authors. Inspired Moses when he wrote Leviticus and inspired the author of Hebrews. Leviticus 9, 24 says this, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. Clearly he's referring to the Day of Atonement there. Verse 26, For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. Oh, thank you, Jesus. By the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27. And just, now here comes, this is the pay attention verse. Okay? (laughs) And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time, (laughs) not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. And sadly, to visit the wrath, the righteous wrath and judgment of God against those who reject him. There's no no passive middle ground. There's no passive middle ground. On Sunday night, June the 22nd of this year, I, innocent Pastor Alpino, was stopped at about midnight on South Beach and given a ticket for running a red light. 
I believe the official term was, quote, failure to stop at steady red light. Paragraph 316.075, parentheses 1, parentheses, parentheses C, parentheses 1. The Florida statutes of motor vehicle safety, whatever that's called. And it carried with it a stiff fine. Well over $250, points on my license, and if I failed to show up, suspension of my license. Now, I must confess to you that there have been moments that I have done just that. Uh, failed to stop at a steady red light. <clears throat> so don't look at me so religiously. I'm sure there have been moments like that for you. Okay? <laughs> but on this particular night, serious guys, I did not do it. <laughs> How many prisons are filled with guys that say that? I didn't do it. <laughs> I even had two witnesses with me in the car. Come to think of it, maybe that is why I was stopped. You see, I had two fine, upstanding citizens with me, although they are very large, intimidating-looking upstanding citizens, one Jose Sanchez and one Kurt Allen. And if you don't know Kurt Allen, folks, he is a rapper African-American rapper from the inner city of Washington, D.C., and he's a big man, okay? They both love the Lord, but they look scary. And I'm sure the officer thought the same thing, and I don't know what he thought I was, like their father or something? I don't know. (laughs) Who's that gray-haired guy? (laughs) You know that feeling you get when the lights come on behind you? You know, it's like, ugh. So the officer asked me some questions, took my information, gave me the ticket. And so for the first time really ever, because most tickets I've gotten I've deserved, I decided to go to court. And I didn't know how to do that, so I asked Chris George, actually his son, CJ, is the one that is battling with cancer right now. I asked Chris, who's a police officer. I said, the detective with the Miami-Dade Police Department. I said, Chris, tell me how it goes. Chris was so kind. He not only told me, he joined me. He came and was with me at the pretrial hearing. Uh, I didn't know this, but pretrial hearing is just three seconds. What are you? Not guilty. Next. And then they say, we'll mail you the date of your trial. I got all nervous and afraid for that. Chris is laughing at me, you know, like, wow, I'm with a bunch of bad guys. Hey, I'm a bad guy. People are looking at me. You know. Now, unfortunately, the trial date was set for Friday September the 26th, which was the exact day that I was due to be in the Dominican Republic doing a pastor's conference. So <laughs> I consulted with Chris, and he just laughed at me. He says, well, Al, you're going to you're gonna have to uh, contact, and if there's any attorneys here, please forgive me. <laughs> Is Melanie here? Melanie, I don't want to offend you. No, Melanie. All right. Too late. Is there one back there? Oh, Hugh. Hugh doesn't count. He doesn't count because Hugh's a gator, Okay. Ooh. So he just started laughing at me. He says, buddy, pick up the phone, call the ticket clinic. <laughs> no. Those are the guys I mock, you know. Hi, call me and I'll get you out of your ticket. He says, he says they're the only ones that can represent you. You can't physically be there. You have to have an attorney. Ugh. So I called the ticket clinic, paid my $99. This is not an advertisement for the ticket clinic, by the way. Uh, they didn't give me any money to say this. Uh, I was nervous. I was nervous. I, I thought... Who's going to represent me? So I went down and asked what the procedure is. And, of course, the lady down at the courthouse is trying to scare the heck out of me, so I just pay the money right there. Uh, if, he, if your attorney doesn't show up, uh, we're going to suspend your license and put on a warrant for your arrest. What? I didn't even do it. Yeah, sure, buddy. 
Next. I'm a pastor. Figures, you're probably one of those crooked pastors. Next. Wait a second. I'm I'm not guilty. (laughs) Um, Chris said, nah, don't trust. Just trust him, okay? I said, okay. So I need to hire someone to represent me before the judge. And sure enough, I went to the Dominican Republic. And uh, man, every day, like we had some internet service, I'd be logging on internet. No, nothing, nothing. Uh. So I came home. I'm expecting like the police to be waiting for me at my front door when I get there. <laughs> what a rookie I am, right? <laughs> some of you are just laughing at me right now. But I was very relieved to receive in the mail a letter that basically said this. Your case has been adjudicated. You are not guilty. No penalty assessed. Your attorney represented you. Case closed. (sighs) You see, folks, my judgment was sealed and I was found not guilty. The wrath of the court, however small it was, and to you may not be a big deal, but to me it was. The wrath of the court, the justice of the court, was satisfied. I was free to depart now under the court's good graces. And so today, we have before us a similar situation. Only all of us stand, not before a court of man's adjudication for a silly traffic ticket, or perhaps for worse in your case. But, oh, friend, no matter what you may have stood before a court on, you cannot stand before any court that's bigger than God's, and there can be no penalty worse than eternal damnation apart from God. And now we stand in this court trusting the only one who can represent us is Jesus Christ. And he opens the books and God says, well, look, sin. But like we read, Jesus says, but Father, the debt has been paid. I took that sin. There it is, the cross of Christ. Demons shriek from it. The saved rejoice in it. The world says, what a bunch of foolish weakness. What do you say? What do you say? It is only trusting in Jesus Christ and repenting of your sins that you can emerge from God's courtroom with the verdict of not guilty based on Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, the gospel. He has represented us before God's court. He has paid our penalty. We are no longer guilty. Our case is closed. The gospel of Jesus Christ commands us then to seek God that we might resolve this conflict with him, to repent Now, the question is, what does repentance look like? Ushers, this would be a great time for you to get ready with these handouts. This question can be answered by a simple quote from Wayne Grudem. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. Leave that up there. This is a good one. It's a sh- brief. You can write this down. This is an important one for you. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin. Ask God for a sorrow for your sin. It's a renouncing of it. We're going to get to that in just a moment. The ushers are getting ready to serve us with that. We must renounce our sin or kill our sin. And then it's a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience. So we must have sorrow for sin. That comes from God. That's called conviction. The Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. Then there must be a forsaking of it or a turning of it. I was walking in this way. God says, that's wrong. I'm so sorry. I start walking this way. And then I've got to make a plan to walk in obedience to God. See, that's what all this means. That's what all this means. And to help you do that, I have a handout for you. Men, ladies, thank you. Can you start handing that out? 
Okay. The ushers are handing something out to you. It is, it's just a simple application for today's message. There's not going to be any fanfare for today's message. There's just going to be an application for you. And this application is entitled, How to Put the Flesh to Death Worksheet. Isn't that exciting? What did you learn at church today? I learned how to put the flesh to death. Really? <laughs> What's the flesh? I don't know. You're going to put it to death? Yeah, how? I don't know. <laughs> well, I hope I can explain this ever so briefly in the few minutes we have left. But this is an application of today's message. And why is it an application of today's message? Because here's the case. God is holy. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Here's what that means, friends. It means that you have been delivered from the power of sin. You are dead to sin. You're alive to God in Christ. You're free. So the power of sin is broken in your life. You have been cleansed from the pollution of sin. You were polluted. And God has unpolluted you. Isn't that good? God has cleaned you up. But, oh, friend, you are not free, listen to me, from the presence of sin. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Listen to that. You are not free from the presence of sin. You're free from the power of sin. You're free from the pollution of sin. Okay? You're not going to pay for your sins. This is not about somehow trying to make up for all the bad things you've done. No way. Jesus paid your sin. Jesus cleansed you. But you are, not, you are not free from the presence of sin. That's what the flesh is. The flesh is the presence of sin. It's that remaining sin that bugs us, that tempts us, that bothers us. The Bible says I don't have to sin, but unfortunately because of sin's presence, I, I do. But let me just tell you this. What you have here is a battle plan to put sin to death. But, but some of you may say, but Al, I, I, I want to sin. No, you don't. You, the real you, if you're a Christian, wants to please God. But the flesh lies to you with feelings and emotions and desires and things from the past. But I, I'm here to tell you that in Jesus Christ, you have a new identity. And do not, do not confuse the battle with sin. Do not confuse that with bondage to sin. That's another good one to write down. Do not confuse the battle with sin with bondage to sin. You need this tomorrow morning when you're trying to wake up at 6. You you have been set free from the power of sin. You have been cleansed from the pollution of sin. But you still have to battle against the presence of sin. And that's what God gives you the grace to do in Christ. Jesus Christ isn't just a ticket to heaven. Oh, he is that, but he's much more than that. He is a new life. So what I've done for you here is I've given you a practical application. What does repentance look like? And I've used a scripture that it's one of my favorite. I'm memorizing this with my son. It's Colossians 3, 1 to 19. So if you just read that scripture and you understand that the first four verses of this scripture are the gospel truth. It's what Jesus did on the Day of Atonement, our Day of Atonement on the cross. It's what Yom Kippur in Leviticus 16 was pointing to. It is being set free from the power and pollution of sin. And then, verses 5 to 9 are the battle with sin. So why don't you put a little, little, a little parentheses deal between 1 to 4, say, the gospel, free from the power and pollution of sin. Just the gospel, free from the power and pollution of sin, verses 1 to 4. And then verses 5 to 11, 
Verses 5 to 11, put a little parenthesis and say, free to battle with sin. Battle with sin. Okay? So all you have here is your battle plan. The rest of this handout is your battle plan. Ways you are passionately pursuing God. Ways you are seeking to keep the gospel central in your life. And then ways you are seeking God for his perspective on your sin, the second page. Ways you're seeking accountability. All that means is asking others to speak into your life to remind you of who you are in Christ. Ways you are fleeing sin. Some of you need very specific ways that you are fleeing sin. Is there a third page? No. Okay. Ways you are fleeing sin then is the last page. All right. Everybody have the handout? All right. Here's how we're going to end the message. You ready? Go. Battle sin because you are free from the bondage of sin in Jesus Christ. Amen.